10 Minute Talks, a podcast in which the world's leading professors explain the latest thinking in the humanities and social sciences in just 10 minutes. Hello, my name is Lynn Abrams and I'm a fellow of the British Academy, the national body for the humanities and social sciences. I'm an historian of women and gender in the modern world, and I'm going to spend my 10 minutes exploring women's mental health from a recent historical perspective. My work currently focuses on the lives of the post-war generation of women in Britain. They were the women who grew up in the wake of World War II, who have been described as the transition or the breakthrough generation, benefiting from improved education and career opportunities, fertility control and better health and welfare provision than their mothers. But this was also a generation who were labelled neurotics in their 20s and were said to be suffering from nervous trouble or stress as a consequence of finding themselves unfulfilled at home with young children. Now, of course, there is a well-known and long history of associating women with hysteria. In the 20th century, the hysterical woman reappears in the form of the unhappy housewife of the 1930s, then again in the 1950s. In the 60s, however, she was not universally denigrated, but rather understood as an expression of the changing realities of many women's lives in the post-war decades. A generation that was making strides in the labour market was now apparently trapped at home as a result of social expectations and the absence of affordable and accessible childcare. This was certainly not what many women had imagined when they married after the carefree years of teenagerdom or university life. Over the last year, we've talked a lot about mental health as a result of the pandemic. We understand that mental health and mental ill health should be understood on a spectrum from low grade or background anxiety and stress to clinical depression. It's generally agreed that it's better to talk about our mental health than to bottle things up. And for many people, self-help therapies and talking treatments are deemed more effective than drugs. This was something that women in the 1960s understood too. The post-war decades witnessed the growth of psychotherapeutic treatments, but access to talking cures was still very limited for most people, and those who approached their doctor for help were more likely to be prescribed tranquilizers rather than talking therapies to treat symptoms ascribed to the deadening suburban lifestyle, a trend referenced by the Rolling Stones with their 1966 hit Mother's Little Helper a reference to the little yellow pill or the benzodiazepine group of drugs. The problem that had no name, identified by the American feminist Betty Friedan and blamed on the unhappiness produced by an unrealistic and stultifying ideal of femininity, in fact had many names in the UK, everything on a spectrum from the wives at home problem to depression. But while some were diagnosed with anxiety or mild depressive disorders and treated with the growing family of tranquilizers or antidepressants such as Valium or Librium, others turned to talking about their feelings, not with psychotherapists, but with like-minded friends and with the media. The language of feelings was everywhere in the 1960s, just as it is today. From the pages of women's magazines and on the BBC to the research projects of medics and social scientists and a new landscape and a new language liberated women to acknowledge how they felt to themselves and to speak about their feelings to each other 
and to professionals, and eventually to act to ameliorate the situation. This is a key moment, I think, in post-war women's lives, when they began to service the self rather than, or in tandem with, servicing others. The work versus family dilemma, which was at the heart of the frustration and dissatisfaction experienced by so many women, was being addressed by researchers. In the, in the 1960s, feminists like Hannah Gavron, Pearl Jeffcott and Joan Maisels gave women the space to articulate their feelings in their own words. They understood that for most the language and framing of suburban neurosis misrepresented the stress symptoms articulated by women of all social classes and in particular Hannah Gavron's pioneering research published as The Captive Wife in 1966 identified the conflicts of young middle and working class women who were caught between emancipatory impulses and gendered expectations and structures pertaining to housework and to childcare. But the frustrations of this cohort of women were also discussed very openly in the broadcast and print media. An example is the four-part series on BBC Afternoon TV's Family Affairs programme on the subject of the married woman's place. Episodes covered the housewife at home, is she lonely, is she bored, does she lack public spirit, and the wife with a full-time job outside the home. How can she combine two jobs? Does her family suffer? In a follow-up in The Observer, provocatively headlined Miserable Married Women, it was claimed that the programmes had attracted a flood of letters from women, with 75% saying, yes, we are bored and lonely. Only those who have been through it can understand the torture and strain, wrote one. So the public discussion of negative emotions and affective disorders was normalised, encouraging women to articulate how they felt, and unlike their parents' generation who tended to exhibit self-restraint, they spoke about it quite freely. Women had found their emotional range. The expressive turn was manifested in the collective cry of relief of women who now understood that their feelings were not abnormal, that it was okay to admit to being unhappy, that they were not alone and that they could do something about it. And a key role in the story of this liberation of feelings was played by the Guardian newspaper. It regularly aired discussion on the theme, offering space to those who regarded domesticity as hell, as well as those who couldn't understand what all the moaning was about. But it also provided a platform for action, because it was here that women's self-help was initiated, with letters to the newspaper from so-called housebound wives, leading to the to formation of a host of do-it-yourself organisations, chief amongst them the National Housewives Register and the Preschool Playgroups Association. These groups of the 60s and 70s quickly grew to become nationwide organisations with tens of thousands of members and they're, they're potentially transformative spaces which in the absence of paid employment or other meaningful activity outside the home offered women social contact, intellectual stimulation and purpose. But just as important, these organisations fostered talk about mental health using everyday language. So one Welsh correspondent to the 1966 National Housewives Register newsletter articulated the feelings of many. She said, time after time I've heard comments like, I think I'm going round the bend, up the wall, crazy, I'm in such a rut, I've been in a steady decline for ages, Thank God someone else feels the same. 
The language of neurosis and mental illness was not included in the official image these organisations wished to project, but members frequently referred to their own encounters with psychiatric problems in both jovial and quite serious ways. The more open culture, which was to accelerate in the 1970s, legitimised a freer and less judgmental environment for talking about mental health and a vernacular which women could use to describe their feelings. And finally, some with social confidence used the media and self-help to effect change. All of these elements were necessary to create an environment in which women could admit to feelings that had hitherto been suppressed or were interpreted as hysteria or neurosis. The self-help movement placed the emphasis on practical efforts to counter women's distress rather than analysing its causes. Of course, it would take feminist psychologists and social researchers to do that, identifying gender inequalities and structural impediments to women achieving peace of mind and satisfaction in their lives. Today, we can talk about mental health using everyday language that is inclusive and unthreatening. The conditions of the pandemic have accelerated this tendency, I think. A similar moment occurred in the 1960s and 70s, albeit the conversation was dominated then by middle-class women and the circumstances were rather different. In 2020, an international study of mental health during the pandemic revealed a crisis amongst women. Homeworking, homeschooling, care for children and the elderly, and housework have disproportionately fallen on women of all socio-economic groups in a context where anxiety is already acute. Listening to women speak about their feelings is now as critical as it was in the 1960s, and looking to history, we might identify some solutions. Thanks for listening to this British Academy podcast. Please subscribe, share and rate this series from wherever you get your podcasts. For more events and conversations, please visit www.thebritishacademy.ac.uk or find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.